0: I'm Sandy Swallow. I'm Okalala Lakota in Northern Cheyenne. I've been an artist for over 30 years, and through my artwork have portrayed my heritage. Now I'm starting a brand new venture called Lakota Link, and I'm here to share with you, and I hope you enjoy it. Lakota Link. Greetings from the home of the Seven well, Council yeah. Fires land of the 1868 Fort Laramie Treaties, bringing stories old and new of Lakota values, courage, respect, wisdom, to name a few.
1: Well, hi,
0: Billy, how are you doing out there in California?
1: We're doing fine, but we've been self quarantined, and it's been for close to 60 days. Oh, we've really? Oh,
0: I know uh, my daughter being an RN, she kind of set us down and said, with our health problems, we should self quarantine too. So I think we started a little sooner than some people did.
1: I actually view uh, COVID 19 as an as enemy of humanity. It, uh, here in California, we've seen where it can take your life. And somebody's healthy, and two weeks later, they've passed on. Uh, so not only can it take your life, uh, you lose the life of loved ones. I've also seen where it's destroyed people's business, their economy, thrusting them into poverty. And uh, the, the latest as I've watched the news. You know, we, we can't tell who a carrier is or who is not a carrier until it's too late for both. So I think, unless we really use some strong collective efforts to overcome it, uh, few will be those that will be untouched by it. You're right.
0: You're you're very right. I, I actually think about my mom, and before I was born, she had tuberculosis, and, you know, at that time they had to be quarantined, And uh, what she went through, you know, they're all different things like the polio epidemic and things like that. I guess we got kind of complacent and didn't think anything like this would happen with us, you know, and here we are.
1: And it's time for when the governor says we have to go into quarantine. uh, So we've been in we've been self-quarantined now for, I think, right on 60 days. We go out on occasion, but we're very, very uh we were following the the social distancing and then doing everything that we need to do, simply because I've seen I've seen this devastation here in California.
0: Oh yeah, for for my listeners, I would like to uh, proudly say that Billy and I are cousins, were first cousins. I was looking up some family history, and actually our grandpa, Ben Mills, and married Susie Adams. And Susie Adams was the sister to Jesse Adams. Jesse was the first his first wife, and they had three children, and then she passed away. And my mom always told me that back then, often uh, the family would give the daughter to widow, Wador. Yes,
1: absolutely. Uh-huh. It was and, uh, common. Uh-huh. My dad, Sydney, was the eldest child of Ben Mills, our grandfather's second wife.
0: Yes, and my mom was the baby of the family. And I was, yes, I, I she's was the baby. <laughs> I was looking that up and, and realizing that your dad was born in 1902. And my mom was born in 1924, so they pro- they didn't grow up together, you know. No,
1: no, they did not. And basically, she was between my dad and I. Uh, I always say my dad was born, I think, 32 years, 34 years after we left hunting and gathering. And I think our grandpa Ben Mills was probably five or six years old at that age and i was born 72 years after we left hunting and gathering so from the aspect of, of the universe that's just a a breath
0: oh yeah and and then to even you know go back beyond our our grandpa ben mills to benjamin buckner mills now he was the sutler at the store at fort laramie and he was present and actually in some pictures when they had the 1868 Fort Laramie Treaties. And of all, you know, he was white, and my mom always said that he came from England. Now, I don't know, you know. Haven't dug records up to find out for sure, but that's what she said. And then he married a full-blood Lakota named Sally Bush Mills. So she was our great-grandmother. Well, uh, Benjamin Buckner Mills passed away at a young age, and some of the history is that we are related to Chief Red Cloud through the Adams family, which would have been our grandma, Susie Adams. But some things that we do know for sure is that they were at Sally. Mills was with other women and some children, and she was there at Fort Robinson when Crazy Horse came in. And we know-
1: they, they, or they walked in, maybe, with a Crazy Horse's band.
0: Yeah, yeah, when Crazy Horse came in, and, and um, we know that as a fact because her name is on the ledger that uh, she was issued as head of the family. The uh, beef and, and food, and I I just think to myself, wow, you know that that would had to have been very hard. She had to have been a very strong Lakota woman. To and
1: if I understand right, reading the, uh, the the ledger that was not too long ago published, uh, she came in with five children, and one of those five children would be our grandpa Ben Mills.
0: Yes, yes, and. And then, um, help me a little bit with how you think we ended up at, the, at Pine Ridge.
1: Well, when, when Crazy Horse was, I, I say assassinated, when Crazy Horse was killed, then they put various members of his band with other leaders, and they put uh, her children and her with, uh, her, gra- her great-grandmother and her children with uh, the red cloud band probably because there's a possible relationship there and uh, so we went to pine ridge as the uh, agency was developed
0: yes and we do know for also for a fact having looked looking at some documents that ben benjamin buckner mills was very highly thought of by chief red cloud because he actually wanted him to be appointed superintendent of what was to become Pine Ridge. But the government did not allow that because they said he, he was intemperate and too closely, a frontiersman, and too closely related to the Indians.
1: <laughs> yeah, and yeah, correct. He, he, was, he, was, he spoke fluent Lakota, married to an Indian woman, and if he was the first superintendent, it would not be, it would be impossible with him to take the Indianess out of the Indian.
0: That's right. That's
1: incredible, you know?
0: Yes, yes. And, and as I understand it, historically, the person who was appointed did not do a very good job. But we don't, you know, I don't know how uh, he passed on. All I know is that Mother said he was fairly young when he died and that he's buried over in Wyoming someplace. So that left Sally Bush Mills being a widow and, and having to raise the kids and wow, you know, that at that time that was not easy.
1: Yeah, it was not easy, but I I, I think there were there were so many relatives available to where it was maybe the beginning of a no child left behind it, in a sense that but the US government continued to try to take away and try to destroy the virtues and the values and the culture, the spirituality, etc. And uh, ultimately led us to where we are today. At a certain time, I, I, I kind of like to explain what what I'm what I'm teaching the non Native American in the United States. But uh, you continue to ask some questions, and I'll fit I'll it into one of them where I see it.
0: <laughs> Well, you know, this is perfectly fine with me because, you know, what I'm doing actually with Lakota Link is during this time of quarantine, which can become kind of lonely, you know, and I say uh, I'm not really a person that hugs people, but now I have a big desire to hug my kids and my grandkids, but I can't, you know, it's nice. just,
1: <laughs> but. Well, let, let me share, it'll take probably five, five minutes to say it, but I think it'll set a stage for other questions and for the, the audience that's listening, uh, perhaps the questions and might give them some, some thought that could be of value. And if not, they may find it interesting, but uh, it's why we are the way we are today, and what we need to know as a country, as a state of South Dakota, as, as the Lakota travel Nation, as, as citizens of the United States of America, and it's also what other countries are learning about us. So, if it's if it's okay, I'd like to explain it as quickly as I can.
0: Well. Definitely. I, I want to hear, okay. I, because um, one thing I want to say to my listeners is uh, Billy being my elder cousin, and I've always looked up to him, and I do, you know, I ha- do on Lakota Link, like tie the Lakota values with whom I'm talking to, and I had a heck of a time limiting it with Billy, because he has so many of these values that he has worked for and entwined in his life. And I'm just going to say three right now, and I'm sure that his talk is going to tie that in in some way. One is fortitude, compassion, and wisdom. So those are values I think that Billy definitely has. So please share with us what, what you want to.
1: Okay, I'll I'll do it in this manner. Uh, You know, I was shocked when the state of South Dakota, I heard, was going to drop Indian Indian education in their schools. And what I'm going to say will magnify the need for us to be included, basic education across the United States. And I'll do it for the audience in this manner. Uh, What I'm going to say has has been taught in a number of other countries throughout the world. Uh, the last time a year ago in November I walk off the stage in Tunis, Tunisia, Northern Africa, to have a lady come up to me and she asked me, Billy, do you know the doctrine of discovery? Do you know Manifest Destiny? Treaty signed, treaties broken, slavery, Jim Crow, the new Jim Crow. And I said, Why are you asking? She said, Because I teach the Lakota culture treaty rights at the university. So I said, yes, I know what you what you've just described. She said, would you explain it to me? She had a couple of students with her. So here's the way I explained it. The doctrine of discovery, we need to know, everybody in America needs to know what the doctrine of discovery has done to the United States as a nation, to all of its citizens, how it has affected them. Excuse me, 1493, based on courtesy of the Vatican, the Pope wrote the doctrine of discovery with the support of the kings and queens and wealth of Europe. In this manner, in reference to the new world, the Americas, any new lands found can only belong to the first Christian monarch that discovers them. And the inhabitants of these lands, the indigenous people, must come under international rule of law. Their laws, their religions, their song, their dance, the sickness of their drum, none of that will apply. And they must submit to Christianity. Based on recent archaeological digs, they estimated there were over 60 million, potentially 100 million, indigenous people like you and I in the Americas. At the end of the wars, six million survived. The vast majority lost their lives in the battles, the wars, and through germs, like the epidemic, like the pandemic were and now. However, they lost their lives through germs also by germ warfare. Six million survived. So at that basis set, Catholic Church and non'm Catholic, simply said, if the indigenous people all convert to Christianity, the governments now then said they could own land. So that's when they declared we had no soul. We were inhuman. We cannot own land. That created the demise of millions of indigenous people. Also land theft. We had no souls. We cannot own land the Trail of Tears, the Wounded Knee Massacre, etc. As that progressed, the United States then becomes a country. The Doctrine of Discovery then led to Manifest Destiny. This land is a gift to the European immigrants from God. I'm half white, I'm half Lakota, so half of it was a gift to me from God. And the other half me had no soul, so we had no rights. The United States Supreme Court in 1823 used the Doctrine of Discovery to win a lawsuit basing their defense on Indian people cannot own land. Now the land had to be developed, slavery. There are no words I can express express the the inhumane treatment of, of the innocent When the slaves are freed, four million new citizens the free. Black man, black woman, child, the former slave. When they're freed, Jim Crow is born. So they're really not freed. You have to go to this drinking fountain. You cannot own property. You can just get a small percentage of a vote because you're not a total human being. And A year before the Olympic Games, the Civil Rights Act was passed. The Olympic games where I won the gold medal, the Civil Rights Act was passed. We could see the brutality on the streets of of America as a young African-American family, an elder, a child would be hosed across the streets by, by authority. The killing of civil rights activists the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King. I visited his church to stand in the spot those four young girls were killed, probably praying, thanking God for their freedom, when the bomb went off. And I felt this very same way when I stood at the burial site, at wounded knee. Why? The Civil Rights Act was conjured with the War on Drugs. The War on Drugs was an attempt to make hippies and young black men felons. It soon spread to all young men of color, an extension of the Doctrine of Discovery, an extension of treaty signs, treaties broken, an extension of Jim Crow. The War on Drugs has been very successful. I visited reservations in the past year, more of the young girls, 7th, 8th and 9th grade have to find a different place to sleep every night for fear of being abused by a young person or an adult on meth. It has devastated our communities. And the most common craving, sickness, that you have to satisfy when you're on meth is your sexual gratification. So nowhere is an eight year old, nine year old or an elderly grandma safe. The war on drugs, it's beginning to be proven was planted by Nixon, I voted for him, Reagan, I voted for him, not knowing, not knowing that was planted to make young hippies young black men felons soon spread to all young men of color. So what did that create in America? It created generational trauma. And we've seen there's no family in Indian country that has avoided generational trauma. But what what did it do for the non-Indian or the other half of me, for example, It created generational privilege. Generational privilege, generational trauma. For us to come together as a nation, generational privilege has to meet and understand what created generational trauma. Because the footprints of the doctrine of discovery, manifest destiny, treaty signed, treaties broken, slavery, Jim Crow, the war on drugs are etched into every fibre of our social way of life, our educational system, our political system, our entrepreneurial system, forever dictating our our way of life. And we need to come together, generational trauma, generational privilege, to understand in this great country that was built, there's still some areas that have to be addressed, if we will ever reach the sacredness that our flag represents, but our laws do not. One example of a law, for example, tribal sovereignty, along with treaty rights, is actually greater sovereignty under the federal government than state sovereignty. And yet, very few people in in the United States of America understand tribal treaty rights, tribal sovereignty. Other countries today are teaching it. So we need to teach it in the schools and systems of, of South Dakota. All 50 states are territories. We need to teach it in our universities. We need to join those growing number of countries throughout the world that are teaching our history. And that's basically what I'd love for people to take and understand that And one more comment to that. Here's how it's been understood today. You can see a very, probably very talented, very dedicated young man in his 40s or 50s, maybe 35 to 50 years of age that calls himself a patriot. But at the same time, thinks there's genocide on the white male because there are patriots within generational trauma, that are trying to level the playing field, and have the equality there for all. And generational trauma is so powerful, and so ingrained, they don't see the equality, they think they're losing their rights. So, as I've traveled the world, and as I've spoken to a lot of our young people, I I try to leave them with the, the understanding of that, as the basis Not to become angry, but to empower their minds through reading, et cetera, to where they can become major players in the choreographing of the horizon of America's future, because America needs that mindset and that knowledge that we can teach our young people to make the world a better place. Sorry if I took too long. No,
0: no, 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 I, you know there's a lot going on here in South Dakota with the problem with the checkpoints on the reservation. And, you know, people, a lot of people simply are not educated to realize that we are a sovereign nation, that we have the right to put up checkpoints. And uh, in that respect, you know, I, I believe that Education and knowledge is power, you know, and what you're saying, what I'm getting from what you said, is that you feel the importance of of letting this be known and to put this out there in curriculum for for young people to understand that whole system is what happened to the Native Americans. Am I correct
1: in that? Correct. But it's, it's not what happened to the Native American. It's what happened to America. Because just as devastating as generational trauma is to a family, generational privilege is just as devastating to a family that has the advantages of that, but in a different way, but both have to heal. And what I've done to do that in my own way, I've looked over and I've reviewed our our virtues and our values again and again. And I've used those virtues and values as I travel worldwide to sit down with people from other countries, some of my colleagues, and I'll compare the virtues and the values of the Lakota with the virtues and the values of their society. We'll take Olympic virtues and values. We'll take Christian virtues and values. We'll take virtues and values of other other religions, we find common ground. And from that common ground, we find a bonding and we can start discussing our differences with respect and with with some compassion, some feelings for one another. And we've concluded that we need to harm one another as we pursue our existence collectively. And it's always been we need to support one another. So I've taken, for example, the the Lakota prayer, we are all related and uh, you're all my relatives. And I've tried to put that into expressing the concept of global unity with the dignity, character, beauty of global diversity, the future of humankind. And I've done it in different ways. For example, you can see on the news today, citizens from different communities, most of the time, Hopefully, more more often than not, at a distance where they're safe, and they're they're honoring, they're showing their love and respect to our healthcare workers, who are given their their energy, their their, their knowledge, their strength, to help us overcome this world pandemic, uh, COVID-19, and our citizens are applauding them, honoring them powerful example of what can happen as if we come together. So I've always said it takes the utmost amount of discipline, the greatest degree of discipline, to achieve the utmost amount of freedom. And in a democracy like ours, in our tribal governments, for example, to achieve the greatest degree of freedom, we have to implement the, most, the greatest degree of discipline because freedom and liberty will never work unless we understand freedom and liberty combined must include the fact that it will not harm the rights of others. And that's a very difficult balance to come up with we come up with it individually. We have to come up with it collectively. Most people think, it, a lot of people today will say, this is a free country. I can say whatever I want to do. I can do whatever I want to do, say whatever I want. And you see people who might be carriers of COVID-19 without a mask, wrapping themselves in the flag and going to the steps of some of the state capitals and saying their freedoms being taken away but yet they may be doing harm by spreading the disease. So that's kind of an example where we've got to come together. We have to understand that we're fighting an enemy and we all need to have the most, the greatest amount of discipline to maintain the utmost degree of freedom that we can at this time in, 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 in our history. Uh, Repping yourself and a flag does not mean you you represent freedom in the proper way. Uh, I remember when I was commissioned a young officer in the Marine Corps, and uh, we we took we took an oath, and and the oath we took was simply uh, an oath that we would protect our country against foreign and domestic enemies. And freedom, liberty doesn't work, unless we also harm others by, we will not harm others by expressing our freedom, our our liberties. And COVID-19 is, is an enemy. It's a global enemy. It's a domestic and a foreign enemy to us in America. So we need to find a way to come together. And uh, that's where I turn to our culture. Our traditions our spirituality. We're all related. We're all relatives. You're my relative. And I try to live my life based on that concept to I'll, I'll, respect, I'll respect the rights of others as I pursue my rights. By knowing that we have to collectively come together to pursue those rights. And it's a very delicate balance. If we lose sight of that, then... We also lose our democracy.
0: It's so deep, Billy. You know, it it's so deep, and I can tell you've really been thinking about it, probably for years, huh? Yeah.
1: yeah, Yes, I have. It's it's it's, I have been because we need to get back as Dakota people understanding our values and making a commitment to live those values, and it's not an easy thing. Uh, I flounder constantly in my life. I've made major, major, major mistakes in my life. However, I keep going back to the core, to the core values, and, and those those core values, uh, every country I've gone to, every society, every religion I've come in contact with, as I relate them to our Lakota virtues and values, uh, it magnifies. The spirituality, prayer—we are all related, and you are all my relatives. So I just try to make my contribution to humanity, to humanity, uh, by trying to engulf my life with the spirituality of the Lakota prayer. We—we we are all related. You are my relatives, and uh, as as I do that, I many very simple little things. And uh, let's take a break, and I want to come back with I want to read a poem to you, which one of those very simple little things that I do.
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed our segment. you know i I enjoy visiting with the people. And if you did, go to sandyswallowgallery.com, dot com where you can find my artwork and find some history and some background. Please subscribe to it, or if you have some comments, we would love to hear your opinion. This is a new adventure for us, and I value your opinion. This song is written and sung by my good friend, Quincy Goodstar. Lakota Link is here to share Lakota values. God bless you on your journey. Wopila, thank you for joining us.